This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. I was talking about Christ as prophet, priest, and king, uh, and uh, I just want to close off on this, this, uh, this idea of, uh, uh, of our experience of this and our election in Christ uh, and the way that this works out because, of course, we who are united with Christ share in his calling and ministry. Uh, and this, again, is part of our experience of salvation, that union with Christ does not mean being dissolved into Christ. And I say this because, of course, if you compare this with Buddhism, um, nirvana, the, experience, the, the, the uh, reality of nirvana is uh, that you lose your identity. You know, you, dissolve, you are dissolved into this thing, this, this sort of um, uh, higher reality. This is not what Christian salvation is that Christian sal uh, salvation is participation in Christ. It is fellowship in Christ. Uh, that is, that is the, uh, the effect of the union that we have with him. Uh, and the New Testament is full of this. You see that uh, uh, Paul says, you know, if we suffer with Christ, we shall reign with him. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, we, it is given to him, the privilege is given to him to share in the Christ's sufferings, to fulfill in his body the sufferings of Christ. So that, uh, you know, Christ's priestly sacrifice, although we cannot repeat it, of course, or replace it in any way, nevertheless we are called to share in it. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a sense of participation here that is part of our union with him. Uh, and as long as we, we don't misinterpret, as long as we don't say uh, that, um, you know, we, we, we do what Christ did um, uh, because he hasn't done it for us. He's just shown us what, he's shown us the example, shown us the way, and now we have to do the same thing. Um, I mean, this is not the, the, the what Chris, uh, Christian discipleship is, um, but it is rather being joined with him in, in what he has done, uh, sharing in, uh, in this, um, in our own lives, uh, so, so that, uh, you know, we, uh, I have to be careful what words I use here, but in a sense we can claim a kind of ownership um, of these things. It becomes part of us. Um, you know, we're not just robots uh, and, and um, agents functioning for him uh, without a mind of our own, uh, but we're, we're men and women uh, in fellowship with him and, um, you know, that he shares with us, he shares his thoughts, his minds and so on, and, and, and we are given the privilege of being able to apply these things in our own lives uh, with freedom. Uh, and a sense of responsibility, uh, you know, that we have in ourselves. And I, this, is, this is very important because, uh, you see, a lot of people have a picture of salvation as a kind of um, giving up of responsibility. Uh, you know, it's kind of like retiring. Uh, you know, I'm going to go to heaven, put my feet up, and, you know, let somebody else do it for me kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, that, that 
picture, uh, and this isn't right, uh, of course. You see that, uh, that fellowship with Christ, uh, participation in Christ, means being active in Christ, um, you know, living for him, uh, not relaxing in him, um, uh, and, or, or disappearing in him, uh, you know, in the, in the Buddhist sense. So we need to have that very clearly in our minds, that, um, you know, that we, we, uh, we participate in the work that he is doing. We are co-workers, uh, if you like, with Christ in, um, uh, in the process of salvation. This, of course, brings me to the next subject that I want to talk about, which is predestination. Now, in, popular, in the popular mind, and in the way people tend to think about these things, election and predestination get confused, get merged into one another. Um, the reason, of course, for this is uh, that election is God's choice um, uh, of a people, that he chooses people and uh, and, and empowers them to live for him. And of course, he chooses people for a purpose, uh, that we have a destiny, and our destiny is uh, to live with him in eternity. So you can see from a logical point of view uh, that election and predestination would be dealing with the same kind of reality, uh, eternal life in Christ, uh, and uh, the, the purpose of our existence, and so on. Well, that, of course, is true, and I don't want to diminish that or, or uh, you know, compromise it in any way. Uh, but uh, although the two things are connected, they are not identical. Uh, that uh, election looks to the past. Uh, you know, it's uh, God's original purpose, why we are where we are. We are where we are because we have been chosen. Uh, you know, that is, a, uh, in some sense, at least, a past reality. Uh, it's something that has happened to us, and that explains why we're here right now and doing what we're doing right now. Predestination, on the other hand, as the word destination uh, ought to suggest, but somehow doesn't to people, um, points to the future, where we are going. Um, and as I say, the two things are not unconnected, but the, the, the standpoint at which we observe them, which we consider them, is different. Predestination is not so much about the past as about the future. Uh, you know, uh, where we are going, what, what is going to happen to us. Uh, now, uh, the, the doctrine of predestination, the understanding of predestination, of course, goes back a very long way. And uh, in Christian history, it's found in the, in the Bible. Um, and it was developed as a doctrine, as a theological principle, mainly by Augustine, the man who developed the doctrine of grace. And in the same context, uh, because uh, as Augustine saw it, uh, the Christian life uh, and being a Christian is the work of God the work of God who by grace has chosen us, has elected us, uh, and has called us uh, to this particular destiny. Uh, and so everything uh, you know, that we are and that we have and so on is, um, is his work, uh, his work in us, and not our merit. It's not something we have deserved. 
Now, as Augustine worked this out in his own mind, in his own theology, he did this mainly because he felt that the basic principles of, this, of, of Christian faith was being attacked, was being challenged uh, by uh, another doctrine, a doctrine which gets associated with the name of Pelagius, who was Augustine's great uh, sparring partner, shall we say, um, in this debate. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going into the historical background, um, you know, was Pelagius really as bad as Augustine made him out to be? Um, is the picture that we get uh, of him and his work a caricature to some extent? You know, that Augustine is creating a kind of straw man that he then attacks, um, and so on. I mean, you know, the, you, can, you can argue this back and forth. Was Augustine extreme in his, uh, in his approach? Well, some people think he was, and some people, you know, the, people argue this. Well, all right. Um, but this is not uh, uh, our issue here and now. Um, when I talk about Augustine and Pelagius, what I'm really talking about are two different points of view which get associated with their names, rightly or wrongly. All right, uh, and so uh, I just mentioned the history in passing to give you a, 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 to make you realize that this goes back a long way. Uh, and if you're reading books, you'll come across these terms, and so you need to know what they are. Uh, but to detach oneself a little bit from the details and say that the the underlying principle is what we need to focus on. Uh, you know the, the 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 two things, and the Pelagian point of view, the point of view that is put across as Pelagianism, what it actually means is that the fall of Adam was not total. That there remains something in Adam, that is to say, in you and me, as we are born by nature, which was not affected by the fall, not touched by the fall. And this something is able to respond to God and cooperate with God in, uh, in fighting back. Indeed, uh, some Pelagians would say that there are people who uh, are fighting back. There are pagans who, uh, who recognize the, the, the goodness which is inherent in them. And, uh, and who are sort of retreating in their own hearts and minds into that, you know, remaining goodness as a kind of, uh, I don't know, a fortress really, you know, where they, 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 where they can regroup their forces and then expand and try to reconquer the lost territory, uh, you know, in the rest of their lives. You see, you see what I'm trying to say, trying to, um, to use that as a resource for uh, for bringing uh, goodness and perfection and so on back into the rest of their lives. Now, not many people today would express these things with quite that degree of, uh, of clarity or naivety or, or whatever, uh, you know, whatever word you want to use for it. However, what Augustine saw 
and where he is absolutely right, and where you do find this every day, uh, still today, is that what appeared to him as Pelagianism is in fact a very widespread human characteristic. It is particularly widespread in our world, um, in our democratic world. People are basically good. People are basically nice. Um, you know, as long as you trust the people and everything will be fine. Um, uh, this, this notion. Um, and of course, if you are a politician, you more, well, whether you believe it, I don't know whether any politician really believes anything uh, that he says. Uh, so I, I, I won't use the word belief in, in, in the same sentence as politician. But um, whatever, whatever the, the, the underlying convictions might be, uh, a politician basically has to say uh, to people, has to tell people how wonderful they are, you know. And uh, voting for them, uh, of course, is, is just a way of um, uh, getting the resources or the freedom you need to realize your own inner potential. Um, you know, you're being held back uh, by the enemy on the other side uh, who are not, not giving you welfare payments or not giving you time off or not giving you whatever it is you need. Um, you know, in order to realize your true self, uh, vote for me and everything will be fine. I mean, this is the line they take, essentially. Um, and, of course, it's rooted in the notion that people are basically good. Whereas if you stood up there and said, people are basically corrupt, they are evil, uh, the purpose of the government and the law is to make sure that this evil doesn't spread too far, um, you know, we, we, we've got to keep it in check. Uh, and that's what the law is for, um, you, you know, to, to limit evil, not to promote good. Um, you're not going to get elected because people don't like to be told that they're sinners, uh, and especially not if they realize that it's true because the truth hurts. Now, I say this because, you see, in this respect, as Christians, and this is vitally important for our understanding of salvation, we are realists in our assessment of humanity and the human race. Christianity is not a philosophy for this reason, because all philosophy, one way or the other, is idealistic. Why? Because a philosophy tries to find a principle by which the universe is governed. And the minute you start doing that, you see, you try to sort of find a framework in which everything fits, uh, you, uh, you have some kind of idea in your mind, uh, you know, of what, of what normality is, uh, and then you make everything else fit into it, all right? Christians don't do this. Christians, Christians start with life as it is. Do not believe that it all fits together in, in some wonderful picture. Not because we think that the creation is evil or because we think God is, you know, is, is disorganized uh, or anything like that, but because we think that human beings have sinned against God, we have fallen away, 
and there is nothing we can do about this. There is no aspect of the human uh, mind or human being uh, which is, is not affected by this. This is uh, what in theology is called total depravity. Now, we have to be careful here because the word depravity has changed its meaning. Um, today, when you talk about depravity, uh, you, are, you are thinking about a reality. You're thinking, uh, if you say somebody's totally depraved, you mean that they're, they're corrupt and you know, their minds are just sort of completely gone and, and all this sort of thing. Theologically, this is not what, to not what Augustine would have understood by total depravity. What it means is you are unable to rescue yourself because every aspect of your being, your mind, your will, your thinking and so on, has been affected by sinfulness. Now, we need to understand this very carefully because it doesn't mean that it's misfunctioning or malfunctioning. You see, some people think that if your mind is, is affected by sin, that that means your mind isn't, isn't working properly. That is not what total depravity says, or uh, uh, that's, that's not the meaning. You, as a fallen human being, you can have a perfectly functioning mind. Um, you know, most people do. Um, the, the processes by which your mind operates are not uh, diminished or uh, uh, corrupted uh, in some way by the fall. That's not what the fall is. The fall is not a, um, a corruption of the mechanisms by which our minds and bodies and so on work. The fall is a change of direction, if you like, a, chain, a, a, a change of input, uh, a change of source uh, of our thinking. And of course, um, the more that your mind and other uh, parts of your body are functioning correctly, the worse your total depravity actually is. Because if the mechanisms by which you think and act and so on are, are not working, the fact that you, you feed them with the wrong material, you know, you, you, you feed in the wrong data to start off with, wouldn't be so bad because it wouldn't work. You know, it just wouldn't go through the system. It would get blocked at some point. I'm not saying it would be good, but at least it, you know, it wouldn't go anywhere. However, if the mind and, and your functions are, are in order and it's all working properly, feeding the wrong thing in from the start uh, you know, could lead to um, very deep-seated uh, corruption, very clever corruption. I mean, a lot of evil, evil people can be very clever. Um, I remember once talking about this with a German friend of mine. Uh, because, of course, uh, uh, you know, one of the great terrors, uh, horrors of the 20th century uh, was the Nazi uh, um, 
dictatorship in Germany and all the terrible things that they were able to do. And the reason it was so terrible uh, was that it was very efficient. I mean, you know, Germany was the most developed, advanced, scientific, progressive, technological country in the world. And of course, when it was taken over by, uh, by criminals and, and evil people, they could use all of that for their own evil purposes, which is what they did. And that's why it was so awful, because it worked. You know, because this German friend of mine said, do you think the Holocaust could ever have happened in Britain? And I said, oh no. I said, no way could it have happened in, 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 in Britain. And he said, why not? I said, well, it's not because of the people. It's not because we're better people. I mean, there are plenty of people in Britain who are just as fascist uh, as in Germany. You know, I mean, it's not this. I said, the reason is that if, if you did this in Britain, you see, if you, if you had some, some Hitler character come along and they built a gas chamber, let's say, you know, to, to get rid of endless whoever, Jews or whatever, um, I said, anyone, anyone who knows anything about Britain will know exactly what would happen. They'd build a state-of-the-art gas chamber, uh, you'd fill it with people you wanted to get rid of, and then the gas wouldn't turn on. You know, because we're technologically challenged in that way. I mean, it just wouldn't work. Uh, or the trains carrying people to the gas chambers would go the wrong way. Uh, or uh, the person who was supposed to, you know, uh, stoke the fires or whatever would want a tea break and, and forget to come back. Um, uh, you know, or demand extra pay or, or, you know, you know what I mean? Along the way, there'd be so, there'd be, there'd be so, so much inefficiency and general breakdown uh, that all the great plans that have been laid would, just wouldn't happen because that's the way it is. You know, that's, Britain is like that. Um, just inefficient uh, in this way. I said, the trouble with you Germans is that, you know, if you say something, you do it, you press the button and it works. Uh, and so in the wrong hands, you know, you, you cause all of this. I mean, could you imagine, um, you know, I, I take Britain as an example, but I, I mean, Britain is reasonably, uh, you know, modern country, but can you imagine something like this happening in, say, um, you know, Colombia? <laughs> or, uh, well, you just couldn't, could you? Or, or Nigeria or somewhere. I mean, the whole thing would just be a, a, a complete mess from the start because the people wouldn't be organized to do it. Now, I'm not saying this to be critical of them. Um, I mean, in many ways, that's a good thing, that, that it wouldn't work, uh, you know, and, and, and fair enough. But um, what I'm saying is to think of ourselves, you see, that if we have a picture of sin, uh, the effect of sin on our life, which which diminishes our capacity to function, we're actually diminishing the effect of sin in our life because we're saying that uh, you know, we can't carry out our plans, however awful they are, uh, you know, because of this. And the reality, of course, is, is, is very different, that um, uh, you know, because we are bright, and this is one of the reasons why um, uh, you have to be so afraid of intellectuals, uh, because intellectuals believe that because they're intellectual, uh, they're somehow 
morally superior to other people. Uh, and in fact, uh, of course, very often they can be much more wicked uh, because they're intellectual, you know, because they've got a plan and because they've got it all worked out and so on. Uh, you know, they can be much more dangerous uh, than, than the person who doesn't join the dots up very well and, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't think very clearly about things, just muddles through from one thing to the other. Um, uh, and doesn't really have a plan or, or, or a purpose in, in what they're doing. Um, you know, that often mitigates whatever evil they might have in their minds. They just can't get their act together to do it. So we need to understand this because, uh, you know, the, our capacity for doing evil uh, is enormous. You see, this is, and Augustine saw this, he understood this. Uh, he realized that what was wrong with us is what, as I said, what we would call total depravity, that we are completely on the wrong track, you know. And unless you are put on the right track and headed in the right direction, then all your efficiency and good work and, uh, you know, achievement and everything else, if it's headed in the wrong direction, will be wrong. You see, not in itself. I mean, you may achieve your goals and you may, uh, you may do what you set out to do and so on. Uh, you know, the, the, the individual things may be perfectly okay, uh, but uh, the underlying uh, uh, thought, the starting point, is wrong. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.